Vibe Machine Hi, I'm Josh Kiff, and this is Undercovers. If you've listened to any of our other episodes, you'll know how these shows roll. And if this is your first time, well, welcome. This series tackles great album art and how the look and feel of an album is often just as important as the music held within. And this, this is a great episode you've jumped in on with Grammy Award winner Lawrence Azarad. Now, I'm sure Grammy Award winners probably hate that coming before their name because their careers are far more than just a single trophy. But it is such an accomplishment, and especially for Lawrence, who won his for his work on the Voyager 40th anniversary album design. We jump into that in this first episode, and as always, we begin with how Lawrence got into art and how that led to music. Vibe. Machine. Yeah, of course. You know, I think for a lot of designers, it was, and, and creatives, it was just a natural interest in mm. this proclivity to make art. And I think as a child, everyone gravitates towards what they're good at. Athletes are going to see themselves excel in the field and they're going to pursue that. And just as early on as I can remember, it was just this kind of thing like, hey, drawing is fun. I, I seem to like it. I seem to be decent at it. And uh, you, you, you kind of grow off of that um, positive reinforcement. Mm. It was just kind of one thing that I was really, um, I just simply enjoyed making art and drawing and, and, and painting. And of course, as you get into high school, the, your talent grows with practice and um, just doing it more and more. Uh, I, in high school, hated math hated uh just certain things that you you i just it was early on that i think it was gonna be that i was gonna go to art school because that was what i was best at my parents did try to bribe me and say like if i went to like one of the state universities they would give me a car or i could go to this private art college (laughs) in San Francisco, California College of the Arts. Um, I I did not choose the car. I went for the art school and, and nice. um, yeah, yeah. Well, it just, it just was, it was just so much fun and I just enjoyed it to, to my core. Uh, and it was the early, early nineties studying painting and illustration. Didn't even really know what graphic design was. And when I was in college in San Francisco in the early nineties, you're, you're, you're surrounded by all of these kind of like titans of graphic design in the, in the industry. Um, Lucille Tanazis and Jennifer Morla and Michael Vanderbile and, and, mm. Uh, it, it was, but it was all very what they would call here in California boutique design. You know, doing like really beautiful things for hotels or or bespoke stuff for wine labels and um, esprit fashion and uh, <laughs> all just kind of like really beautiful classy stuff. And it wasn't. I'm kind of honest and open in saying that it, I I wasn't like chasing bands and band art from an early age mm. it was it was more like design was the passion i wanted to be a designer i wanted and of course like this is even even crazier to say but like annual reports were like these beautiful books that companies would make and um i remember uh interning at this design firm in Chicago, VSA Partners. I thought I had died and gone to heaven. Just like there <laughs> it's the type of era where you had like a book where there was like 15 pages of tissue before you even got to like the first page that actually yes. said anything. 
And um, whereas uh, other people in the music industry, you know, from like 11 year old, you know, you knew that you wanted to, you know, follow the fugs or something like that. Um, but for me, I felt about design the way a lot of people feel about music. And leaving college, um, I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? San Francisco was such a saturated community of designers at the time. Um, and it was, it was almost at like pre-first internet wave. A teacher of mine said, hey, I had done some, some work for Warner Brothers Records. And um, I, I came in there and uh, this was like early, early days of Raygun Magazine, David Carson, that type of stuff. And, and just took a job there and, and it just fit. And all of a sudden it was just kind of like this world where instead of being uh, someone who was in the music industry who happened to be a designer, I felt like this weird kind of fit where I was a designer that happened to be in the music industry. <laughs> uh, I think it was that juxtaposition that um, worked well for me because yep. I, I had like a different... Um, voice and a different kind of approach to it, like getting to work on ads or small packages for Elvis Costello. And I just, I always like tried to take like a real designerly approach. Um, mm. And uh, on the on certain things, I mean, certain things, sometimes that like classic vibe just like played out really nicely. But once I got into the music industry, it was kind of like, um, you know, a taste of the poison. There was no going back. It was just like, it, it, of course, youth is wasted on the young and you don't realize how much fun you're having at the time mm. there on the label. But it was um, truly a magical place and a magical experience working at, at Warner Brothers Records. It's It's where I met my my wife, who I'm still married to, and she still works at the label, and oh, wow. um, best friends, and and you know friends like Frank Maddox and and other people, and it just it just was a string of moments that you kind of can't believe are happening, uh, and you get to uh, reflect that all through design. It, early on, you're just kind of caught up in the excitement of the of the job and the emotion of the moment and, and trying your hardest to do a good job. Uh, it wasn't until I think later on in my career when I became more mature as a designer and more mature as a creative and more mature as an adult where these ideas started to coalesce where it was kind of like, hey, we have a chance to be an extension of this cultural experience that's important to people's lives and possibly through some small way, there's a way to um, make an impact on people's lives, hopefully in a good way that um, if they're identifying with something that a band is saying mm. socially, um, politically, culturally, and you know your art is a touch point to that. When I, I use the word "your art" um, loosely, I'll get back to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> then that that that's very um, that's very fulfilling, and that's very exhilarating as as someone who's interested in contributing to the human experience and contributing to culture. Mm. Uh, and and I'll, I'll just circle back to um, that that term "your art" too, because. You know, you come, design students and designers come out of art school and sometimes it's it's more leaning towards a fine art way and, and you're taught that, you know, everything has to have a reason and what's the decision behind this artistic 
uh, choice that you made and it's your art and it, it you, especially when you're young and your passions are high and your perspective is strong and it took a minute to just realize and say like hey it's not your art you know you are <laughs> you have to do a great job and you have to to make art as successfully as you can but it's it's you're really being the visual articulation of somebody else's art mm. and it, that that sensitivity, that that capacity to listen to what the artist is about and what they're trying to say and what the music is trying to say, it's 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 rather egotistical to say it's your art. It's it's your in service toward telling that story. Now that doesn't mean that you are a pushover and that you just do whatever um, the artist wants because that's not good either. But you need to kind of tune into reflecting the spirit of um, what their art is all about. Most definitely, most definitely. Very well put and something that you've definitely managed to achieve. And that is the perfect <laughs> entrance to it to an episode. So thank you so much for that, Lawrence, and an amazing way to get started in a career and, uh, you know, sort of working your way. And you've got your wife still working at Warner Brothers. She's managed to survive the endless yeah. culling of the, end, of the music industry. Yes, yes, <laughs> it is an endless, endless culling, endless, um, which is weird. Is weird. Touch wood, I, touch wood. I, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, and I was, I was part of the culling. A, a culling. It happened to me. It was, it was a shocking day. It was, um, but in in truth, it was one of the. Um, it was one of the better things to happen to me. And we're, we're here in my studio, um, we're involved in a couple of initiatives called Designing the Future of Music, mm. where we're looking at how can design lead to new ways we can connect to music in a deeper way through technology and, and, and design now that, that our access and our experience and our, our the way we approach and discover music has changed so much. and. Now that we're in a post-streaming world, can we use design again in an important way to make uh, to make the um, connection to music rich through that creativity? And that's manifesting through um, an education program that we're developing with my alma mater, actually, the California College of the Arts in San Francisco, and a museum exhibit at the Museum of Design in Atlanta, uh, summer 2020. And it, it wow. both chart the um the deep and long history of the relationship between design and music but then we went through this period in the 90s um where you know streaming came along and mtv came along and our our entire way we we access music changed and now we're, we're living in a world where there's incredible possibilities a lot of people are like bemoaning the end of the album package or some people are pointing to a small resurgence in vinyl and saying it's 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 back it's not back it's nice to see the resurgence but mm. um we're about celebrating can we look at innovations in ar and 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 spatial recognition technology and you know wonderful videos that people are making and return to craft you know incredible yes. silkscreen posters and and let's look at how um, the format has changed, but the need for music and the need for uh, visual companion to it hasn't yes. changed. So we want to yeah, support that and embrace that. And it's one of the things that I've found as I've gone through this series is that 
the need for art and the affection that people have towards art in music. Uh, it's it's one of the things that I say almost every episode is that you can have a book. Every book in the world, nearly every edition has a change in artwork. The biggest book in the world, the Bible, every edition looks yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. You go and change a Madonna album, yeah. you've, you, you've got hell to pay. You know, yeah. you, you know it, it, it stays the same. It's one of the only mediums that truly does. And it, it's a reflection of the time period the music was made in. Yeah. And it's a reflection of the artist at that time and also the designer at that time who's who's helping that artist realize that vision. And that's sort of why I'm doing this series because you've nailed it because because of that that sort of time capsulization of um of art and music. It's it's really unique and it's something that that uh, myself and a lot of other people, obviously you as well, we absolutely love. Yeah. And uh, and you know, you've touched on technology and you've mm-hmm. touched on science and being part of that that future and we've got to talk about and i wanted to start with your grammy win congratulations thank you for those who do not know lawrence has won a grammy he (laughs) won it for the voyager golden record the for the 40th um anniversary of uh voyager one and voyager two taking off to send to find life or explore the galaxy and and hopefully give them a little bit of our our culture and art and it included um a couple of or uh, quite a bit of um music and sound and mm-hmm. and 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 different elements that you've managed to collate i was reading a lot about it prior to this interview you've managed to collate off people with memorabilia collections of nasa themselves i believe of different elements you, you've managed to sort of create this wonderful package that that shows technology from the 70s and what they what they're sending out you know for other future colonies or people or aliens whatever you want to call them to hopefully understand i'm really curious fascinating project how did you get started in it yeah yeah well uh, josh the proper term uh is extraterrestrials Uh, carl sagan's widow who we actually worked with uh and and jurians she 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 corrected us on that because aliens implies like um like a negative brain other, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm only half jo- and that's true but i'm only half joking on that uh no the um quickly because there's so much to unpack it it's a, it's a really marvelous story and, and really mm. fascinating and, and the more people kind of discover it it, it there's kind of like this like what are you talking about kind of scenario but <laughs> Um, yeah, very quickly, the, in 1977, NASA did launch the, these two spacecraft. They realized that the way um, our planets and our solar system were lined up, that these two spacecraft at a certain speed were going to pass by perfectly by all of our, uh, the planets in our solar system. And it was going to be the first time that we were able to take clear images, close mm. up images of our planetary neighbors. And in the process, the scientists um, discovered a lot of new and groundbreaking discoveries about um, the makeup and, and you know, the, the, the contents in our solar system. Yes. And uh, Carl Sagan, this late scientist, thinker, writer, philosopher um, had this idea of a message from Earth. There was an earlier probe called Pioneer, and they put a plaque on it 
that in the event that these extraterrestrials ever came in contact with the spacecraft, that the plaque explains who we are, where we came from, and, and that kind of we come in goodwill. Uh, the With Voyager, they decided to put a little bit more of a complex message out there, and um, they, they, they composed a record, and it's, it was really what you could call the first world music tape. They had the ethnomusicologist <laughs> uh, Alan Lomax work mm. with them on curating the, the music on there, and it, it's considered by some to be kind of this curation of Earth's greatest music. You have everything from Bach and Beethoven to... Solomon Island Panpipes and Chuck Berry is the most mm. modern music on there and music from Kazakhstan and mariachi music from Mexico. And the record itself is actually gold plated because that's the only material that would withstand yes. uh, time and the weathers of space. Uh, currently, uh, it, it, it both probes have left our solar system. They're the only human made things ever to leave our solar system. Uh, and then here's here's where it starts to get even trippier. Um, the it was this was 1977. So companies digitizing images, there was only two in America that existed. And um, they were able to through television cameras film these images and translate those images into data into code. Now it's funny in our iPhones we send images <laughs> on Instagram a billion per second. But at the time, this was a really big deal. So there's this image essay of um, who we are, our biology, our family structures, our, our, our human systems, our, our natural world, the houses we live in. It's kind of like this um, comprehensive representation of, of humanity, how we eat, how we drink, um, the Taj Mahal, skyscrapers, African huts. It's just kind of everything on there. There's a audio poem of like whales is very 70s hippie stuff uh, <laughs> and then there's also a catalog of human greetings uh spoken in 55 languages and wow. all kind of everyone got to speak in their own idiom like peace unto you or or mm. greetings to our brothers and the stars we um we took it upon our partners and i in osmo records to um gather the masters which never really had they were locked in a vault for 40 years the wow. images that are on the record had existed in different states of quality all over the internet like mm -hmm. incomplete sets and no one had ever really done this kind of comprehensive recompiling um since it came out uh of, of the record and sagan himself tried to released the record back then, but nobody wanted to put it out. Uh, and um, it, it just, you know, it's not going to get played on the radio or something like that. <laughs> um, and uh, two partners who one was more interested in the science and, and one was more interested in the audio kind of mixing, mastering kind of audiophile stuff. And obviously I was interested in the art stuff. Yes. Um, they came to me and said, like, hey, have you heard the Voyager Group Golden Records? I said, yeah, like, how would you like to help them put this out? And uh, also, by the way, on the cover of the record is this diagram yes. that explains where we came from in the universe using light and time in the diagram. And then it explains how to play the record. And then if you play the record at the right 
revolutions per minute, which is in the hieroglyphic, if you will, then it unlocks this frequency that unlocks the images on the record. And freakishly enough, somebody in the internet space actually decoded the images only using the diagrams. So we know it works. Um, But yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It's crazy. Um, The whole thing is crazy. It's it's very trippy stuff. So when we, we, we put it out as a Kickstarter and we didn't really realize, think that we didn't know who would make goal um, or if people would be interested in it. And um, in terms of design, I wanted to design something that was as holy and sacred. Well, I shouldn't say holy because that's a religious term, but <laughs> sacred and timeless um, yes, yes. As, as the idea itself, because these the originals will be floating out in space long after Earth is gone. Um, and, and burnt by the sun. So the, the, the box and the package was meant to feel like this kind of like sacred object um, that if you flew it, flung it into space, it would still hold its gravity and museum-like quality. And, and turns out we, we broke Kickstarter's record for their um, highest grossing music um, yes, release. Yes, I saw that. Ever. And, um, y- you know, people whether or not they remembered it from their youth or were just learning about it. The interesting lesson about the Voyager Golden Record is that there's no images of war or disease or violence on the record, on the original record. And what it is really is this idealistic self-portrait of humanity. And it's the best of ourselves. You know, you know, this, Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and now more than ever, the world that we live in, we are—we need to realize that we are just floating on this little tiny speck of dust in the middle of billions and billions of miles in space. And all of our problems between wars and, and budgets and fighting with each other really shouldn't matter. Um, I promised I, I have not smoked weed before this interview, so. <laughs> but it's 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 very stony stuff. Um, it's they, very cool. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, and then I, then we got the Grammy, um, which was which was a nice honor, and and I'll I'll park it here. But I had dedicated that the Grammy to um, Chuck Berry because Chuck Berry's on the record, and he died. Yes year and it turns out that the astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson was the one presenting our category and uh, when I was dedicating the Grammy to Chuck Berry saying his music lives on forever 15 billion miles away I was off with that number and Neil deGrasse Tyson like name check fact check me from the stage (laughs) at the Grammys I could feel uh, everyone laughing and I could sense it's <laughs> happening behind me, and I was off by a couple billion miles. Um, so it's it's eleven point three billion miles away right now, and and wow. there, yeah. So wow, there. I can remember as a kid, and I'm forty, almost forty one. So I'm, um, you know, I'm I'm old enough to remember the Voyager uh, news, you know, information coming through, and I can remember. Um, they would they would send back data about it, and, and, and I remember when it was either Voyager One or Voyager Two, and it was the last communication they were going to receive from it. Yeah, and uh, and that was a real. I remember as a kid thinking, 
how far away is it that they know that this is the last communication they're ever going to get? Like the systems that we have cannot, you know, one, I think it was it was not going to be able to broadcast it out any further, but but two, our systems wouldn't be able to pick it up any further. And yeah. it, your mind just boggles at that. And that was probably 20 years ago now. So it's been a while. <laughs> so yeah. the, fact, the fact that they're out there and still transversing the universe and no one knows what's going to happen. Are they going to circle back around and we catch it? <laughs> no one knows. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, they're on a vector. They 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 have calculated the vector. Um, oh, I wish I knew the fact right now. It, <laughs> it, 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 uh, this uh, disclosure, this will be wrong, but it because it's in the book. But it, it's it, it's like seventy six billion light years before it gets to the next galaxy. Wow, uh, the closest galaxy. Um, and uh, th- that in and of itself gives you like a sense of like scale, like enormity. What, we're, we're nothing. <laughs> it's funny because the there's a, a couple great documentaries on Voyager. One one's called the the furthest, and you know the scientists. There's there was there's a real science mission to this, but mm. most humans are captivated by the the record was just like an add-on, like, and it's incredible that. They did it. Like Sagan went to the president and said, Can we yeah. add this thing? And NASA was kind of like, I don't know. Like, this is like, this seems weird. You know, this is not, but they, they, they agreed. <laughs> they, they, they put it. And now everyone, like, when people, when you go, we did a lot of our research at Jet Propulsion Laboratory and, and, they said Voyager still remains one of the most popular spacecraft, but it's kind of annoying to the scientists, like because they're doing real science and <laughs> everyone's like, yeah, but what about. about the record? And they're like, the record. <laughs> I mean, Frank Drake was this. He's the founder of SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial yep. Intelligence, and he he was a consultant on the record. And and after looking at the Drake equation, it. I'm I'm not going to say if I believe or not, but it's hard to believe that there isn't other life out there. That being said, the likelihood of other life ever finding this thing is is that's got to be impossible. But uh, (laughs) it's so it it was really like uh, probably one of the most grandiose and poetic um, art projects ever and um the craziest that we we just learned so much in the making i can imagine i can imagine the original team they put the whole thing together in like two months what yeah yeah. it was it's it was kind of nuts um but um passion drives great things and Mm. um took us like a better part of two years uh just in the redo um but um, we're glad that we did. And in the book, we also have all the images that Voyager sent back. Um, so it's nice to have the pairing of a book. Yes, it's yeah. incredible. What what an incredible story. Thank you for sharing it. What an yeah. incredible project. And and uh, I before we jump into your music art, you you have worked on on other amazing packages. The Concord package about the Concord airplane. You're um, yeah. a fan of um, of all architecture and especially. <laughs> plain architecture and and that was just mind-boggling how advanced it was and still is um and the the fact that people aren't willing to depart with enough money to be able to keep them flying is a is a strange conundrum um but what an incredible and of course it was a crash but 
but uh, but what what an incredible thing! And I, and I noticed you you talked a little bit about about hippiedom or being a, you know um, you mentioned the word hippie, but you've actually completed a book about a family of hippies. <laughs> yes, that is not that's actually not my project. So that's, that ah. yeah yeah. So Ozma, you know, I was a partner on the Voyager record, and they got on to do the Family Acid, which is which is that's a great. It. Um, a great project too, but um, the Concord uh, book is, mm. is 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 a book that I authored and and it came out on Prestel this year and um, you know really like Voyager and like a lot of art for music, Concord was about this idea of what we can do when hope and determination and creativity come together as uh, it, it's this this world of design that I'm kind of uh, excited about this era where there was all this hope and possibility and, and reflected in things like an airplane that went twice the speed of sound. And, <laughs> and that, that thing kind of came out of a utopian ideal. We were all supposed to be flying around on Concorde. Qantas had orders for yes. Concorde and, and, and a lot of other airlines. And yeah, imagine just cutting the, the flight to Australia in half. Um, oh, and we're about to do it. We're, we're about to do it. And it's 15 hours with, with three young kids. I yeah. would love that to be a seven hour flight. I would yeah. love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be. But economics usually prevails in these type of mm. things. And yes. um, that that it's it's kind of like the Voyager, and you can see it in some instances in music history. Sometimes there are flashes of inspiration in our past that we have to learn from and hopefully push forward. As yes. um, you know, take take the best of what people were doing and um, get inspired again in big and new ways. Aeroplanes, spacecraft, and music. That's all you need for a pretty great story. And Lawrence's story is fascinating. I'm sure you will agree. I thought I'd leave this episode there before we delve into the album art side of Lawrence's career. I'm hoping you'll join us for episode two and three of our chat with Mr. Lawrence Azarad as we discuss getting chastised by Elvis Costello, John Frusciante's dreams, walkthroughs of Dave Grohl's recording studio, what it's like creating artwork for Silver Sun pickups and Wilco, and so much more. We'll see you then. Vibe. Machine.